grieving. Some families will be lost to one another forever. To those of you who face the difficulties of reconnecting with family and establishing ongoing relationships, we say sorry. We offer this apology in the hope that it will assist your healing and in order to shine a light on a dark period of our nation's history. To those who have fought for the truth to be heard, we hear you now. You're listening to Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption. I'm one of your hosts, Joe Sparrow. This podcast is a production of Jigsaw Queensland Post-Adoption Support Service. However, the views expressed are those of the people participating, not necessarily Jigsaw Queensland. The podcast discusses adult themes and listener discretion is advised. Hi everyone, it's Joe Sparrow here. I first heard today's guest's incredible story at the 2019 anniversary for the Federal Forced Adoption Apology, where he spoke alongside his mother about the process of discharging his adoption. Michael Costello was born in Brisbane in 1970 at the height of the closed and forced adoption eras. He was initially placed in an orphanage and then extended foster care, despite his mother making several attempts to regain custody. Michael went on to be adopted by his foster carers at the age of five, where he was physically, sexually, and emotionally abused. Five years ago, Michael began the process of discharging his adoption, having his original birth certificate reinstated and his mother legally recognized as such. Welcome to Adopt Perspective, Michael, and thank you for sharing your story with us. Thanks for having me. Michael, Just as it is for many of us who are affected by adoption, there was the story you were told and experienced before you obtained your identifying information. And then later, after reunion and obtaining your records, there was a further revealing of your history. If it's okay, I'd like you to begin by sharing your story as you first knew it. Uh, It's a discussion I've had with lots of adopted people that I've encountered throughout my life is that we all have this common thread of secrets and lies and adoption is, is glued together with this, this weird adoption and lies. There's half truths. There's, and it, I'm always trying to break down as I move forward in my life, trying to get to the truth, whatever that is, if it's, you know, something painful or something wonderful. I just want to know the truth surrounding me. And I don't think that's unreasonable. I, um, I was, I was a dark skin kid, um, adopted by, I don't know, a white family. It even feels strange to say that because I don't think Mm -hmm. of myself as a dark skin kid. But I was, um, and I didn't know where my dark skin came from. Um, so there was a, there's the starting point of knowing that you were different. Break down one of the secrets and one of the lies. Maybe you're not necessarily the same as, you know, your adoptive parents. I knew I was adopted straight away. Um, I was always told, and this is going to sound strange, but it ended up being a manipulation in my case that I was picked out and that I was taken home because I, they thought that I was special. And that's a double-edged sword for me, like I said, because 
the story I was told was actually ended up being used as a manipulation throughout my childhood. Um, later on in life, I was told that no one wanted me and I was lucky to be adopted by the people that ended up adopting me. So again, mixed emotions. Um, I was told that my birth mother was, you know, fell in love with a mechanic <laughs> and, and they couldn't, weren't old enough to take care of me. And they put me up for adoption. And that's the story I grew up with, that my father was a mechanic and my mother was, you know, a young woman and her family couldn't deal with, you know, or help her in the situation in the 1970s. Um, and I always knew I was adopted. I always knew I was different. And my school, at, at uh, all through my school life, I was one of the only kids with dark hair and brown eyes. Um, and so that was different of that's been a thread throughout my life of being different and it's a good thing because if you're different, then you ask a lot of questions and my adoptive grandfather was a very big influence and very welcoming. Um, both grandparents never stop asking why, if you stop asking why you may as well be dead. So mm -hmm. that's stuck in my head. I keep asking why, and that's why I'm here today, I guess, talking to you is because I'm, you know, searching for the truth and trying to find out what, what I, what I do. I when like yourself. Um, I, when the laws changed in Queensland, I went ahead and applied to get information about my um, birth mother and she was trying to do the same thing. She'd actually tried several times during the, my childhood to reach out to the department and to the, my adoptive parents. When the laws changed, I think she wrote a letter um, saying that she had a certain condition and that I should be checked for it. Fortunately, I had already left home at that stage and I don't have that condition. It skipped a generation. Mm -hmm. um, but she tried to make contact. We connected... Yeah via um, letters and the documentation signed everything away to say, hey, I'm keen to, to meet. And she in signed saying she was keen to meet. And then I got a phone number. I called her up and I spoke to her adoptive daughter. She adopted two kids. And I said, oh, you know, is so-and-so there? And she said, no, she's out. And I called her back when she got home and and she said on the phone, do you have crooked little fingers? And I said, yep, I do. And she said, well, there's a good chance that you're my son. So oh, we wow. looked very similar. Um, yeah. And we arranged, arranged to meet. Um, my partner at the time was going to be in Brisbane before me and wanted to check her out. So they met initially uh, at Southbank. Partners can sometimes be very um, protective over these things, can't they? Yeah, and just, yeah, just... I, there's two words that most people will take for granted in, in their experience. One of them is mother is not a happy word for me mm -hmm. and not a happy experience. And the word home is not a happy experience and not a happy word for me. But, and as adoptive kids, there are two things that you're searching for home and, you know, a mother. So he went up to meet this, this woman who was my birth mother and said she was bizarre seeing her work walk towards, you know, it was like seeing me. Oh, and wow. eventually I, you know, organised myself to go and meet her 
and she met me at the airport. I came off the, the plane. I said, I'll be wearing a red shirt. She said, oh, my God, I'm going to be wearing a red shirt. <laughs> and it was, I cried, as you do. I don't know why I cried, but I did. It was um, emotional and lovely, but weird at the same time. Yeah. I, it's interesting that you say um, that you cried as you do because, I mean, my experience was that I was so disconnected from my emotions on the day that I met my mother. There was not a tear in sight. I was, I don't know, it was like I was in shock. There was no emotion there at all. But for you, you were tapped right into that, did you? I did. It, it's it's strange what makes you, what what gets your emotions going. Yeah. Um, it was just strange to see someone who looked like me. Um, I mean, I'm going to give you a weird story that um, we used to drive through Maruka on the way to visit my grandparents probably twice a month. And that's where my, I was conceived and my mother grew up. Whenever we drive through Maruka, I'd just daydream about my birth mother. You know, I daydream about it. It's the weirdest thing when I look back on it. And that whole area that we drive through was the only time really that I allowed myself to daydream about it. Mm. And there it was, that's the beginning and that's the foundation. And that's the area that I, it all, it all went down. Um, So strange, but anyway, I digress. Well, I was going to ask you actually, did, did when you meet your mother, did she bring any new information to you about your adoption that you were not aware of? Well, I'm going to be really honest and really real for a second. I yeah. I said to her, all right, so how did it all come to be? And I and I was completely honest about who I was and what I was because I had nothing to lose, basically. Yeah. And maybe this will resonate with you. It's kind of like you've met someone at the bus stop and they turn out to be your parent. Yeah. Because there's yeah. no shared history other than in what you've inherited through your DNA. That she didn't tuck you in at night. She didn't take your temperature. She didn't drop you off at school. She didn't, you know, put a Band-Aid on you. There's no shared history. So what you do is you, for want of a better word, and I hope this doesn't sound cold, you manufacture a relationship. And that mm-hmm. it's weird and hard and, but you have to have a willingness, but you can't manufacture that relationship. Well, I don't believe that unless you come from a really honest place. So yeah. I said to her, all right, is it your dad? Is your dad my dad? Is it your grandfather? Is it your brother? Is it a next door neighbor? Because, you know, I'm giving her an opportunity to go. And I'm fine with that. I did say to her, again, this might upset some people, but I said, hey, thanks for not having an abortion because that mm-hmm. was an option. I wanted her to say, you know, thank you. Look at me. I'm having a wonderful time. I'm a happy person and I'm making the most of my life. Um, it was important for me to say these things and let her know and and for her to give her a space where she went, oh, okay, I can be honest. Because again, like I said, there's a lot of secrets and lies around all of this. I wanted to create an environment for the both of us where we could come to this meeting and begin a relationship based on honesty. Um, I was very transparent about who I was and what had happened to me and, you know, what I was expecting from any relationship that we might have moving forward. And it's a big shock. It's a lot of emotions when you meet these people or this person. If we're lucky enough to be in a situation where they do 
allow access into their lives. And fortunately for me, she was there with open arms. As far as who, how I came to be and who my birth father is, this inconsistencies and still a veil over that. And, but I've managed to move forward with a relationship um, with my birth mother despite those things. It was an issue that stopped us, that I raised later on years down the road of our relationship where I went, I don't feel you're being completely honest about how I came to be. And I used that as an excuse to take a break for a while. I was living in London at the time and I was still trying to deal with my emotions about adoption and my childhood and all of these things. So it wasn't all to do with her, but it was a, uh, looking back, it was probably a cruel thing to do, but there's no rule book with this. There's no roadmap, you know, other than other people's stories. And it's something I regret doing, but at the time I needed to do it. I ended the relationship that I was in when I was in London and started a new one. And that partner said, all right, you need, it's time to reach back out and start a relationship again. And, and, you know, so I have, and I met my birth mother in 1993 and we've had a relationship ever since then. And she's a lovely lady and we're so grateful to to have this connection because we know so many people who have had very different stories of being rejected again by when they do reach out or the the birth parents are dead or something awful. So I'm very respectful and very grateful to have that connection with her. And it's an ongoing process of building the relationship and finding our way through to the truth. So Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. I was just going to say it's it's certainly not unusual for uh, reunion stories to have some ups and some downs. Yeah. I was going to say, Michael, you um, in preparation for today, you sent me a large number of documents and information about your birth, foster and adoption history. Yeah. And when I was reading the information, I was reminded that when we're applying for our records, support organisations and department staff often suggest that we prepare ourselves to receive what might be confronting or distressing information. And when I was reading your records, I imagine this must have been the case for you. Um, what new information did you discover when you received your records? Well, it's taken. A, it took a, quite a while for me to get to a place where I could actually uh, um, start this process. Like I said, I'd lived overseas for a long time. And f- to be honest, I was trying to run away from a lot of it and just yeah. and have a happy life. And I moved back to Australia. And one of my goals for moving back to Australia was to move forward with all of this information that was now accessible to me. So I met um, people from the department of the adoption assistance people, they keep changing the name of what the department's called. So I'm just going to say the adoption people uh, within the department. Um, And I met them at one of the events uh, and they're very nice and welcoming, got cards and went in and had a meeting about obtaining my AI, which is my adoption information. So they go through your file and pull out information that, pertains to you, concerns to your adoption and your birth and all of that information. 
And so I gave them time to do that. And I went and met with um, the same um, department person who was absolutely lovely, five-star review, incredible, and really one of the first people that I encountered um, who could look at me and know, know me, if that makes sense, because they've trawled through my file. Um, and I found that very, um, and I still tear up when I see that person. Um, it was a really emotional day when I got my AI information. Um, I knew some of the stuff because I'd met my birth mother and she was able to tell me about how much I weighed and what time I was born and all of those things. I, your AI information is very weird in reflection because it's just about you. Yeah. It, I now refer to it as my fluffy adoption story having gone through the process that I've gone through mm -hmm. um, and having had the childhood that I had, I, at that meeting, I asked the department employee, did they know much about my adoptive parents and really wasn't, you know, that information wasn't available to me because it's about somebody else. It's not about me. When I had trouble with that because these are the people you gave me to. It really is about me, but that information isn't mine to have. Um, yeah. I and, know exactly what you mean. It's very, yes. yeah, yep. it's very confronting. Yeah. Yeah. And when I say my file and I'm using exclamation point, uh, exclamation marks when I, uh, 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 air quotes, sorry, when I say this, your file, your adoption file is not your file. Everybody refers to, and I'm using it again, air quotes, your file. It's not your file. The bulk of the information in there, you're never going to have access to. Um, so I get my fluffy adoption story, which is my AI thing. And I go downstairs to put in um, a RTI application, a right to information, um, because I want to start the process of putting, getting the information that I need for my adoption order discharge. And the department employee was incredibly helpful and incredibly, you know, let's, you know, supportive of me going through this process. Can't fault them. Didn't want to pressure them into, you know, giving me information that they really are not able to give. So very respectful of them, very appreciative. So I get my information. I ask the questions. I talk about wanting to commit suicide when I was a kid to them. I tear up. She's read my file. She knows my file. She's looking right through me. It's the first time in my life that I haven't been able to have the nice shiny wall up that I, I do put up to pretend everything's okay. This person can see right through the the facade that I put up of I'm okay, I'm okay, because they know what has gone down. They know my file. They know me. Very emotional, very raw, very seminal moment in my life with that person. Um, very appreciative that I was paired with that person at the department. Um, I go away. It's a lot to take on board. Um, I wait and I get a CD with all of my adoption information that the AI 
uh, rights information people are prepared to pass over to me. And I really don't want to look at it. And I don't look at it. And then I reach out to one of the, or go through the list of uh, potential legal people that the department, you know, have given me uh, who might be able to help me. And I contact legal aid and they recommend, and I'm going to say the name of the people, if that's okay, who the law firm that I went through, because I'm very proud of the way that they behave with me. It's Caxton Legal. Um, I was put onto them and given a lawyer and uh, had the initial consultation and meeting and, and they wanted the information to start to prepare a case. And I had to make a statement. I guess it's a victim statement because one of the ways you can apply for adoption or to discharge is under grounds of, and you'll be able to fill in this for the listeners about a few of the, the criteria, but mine was that, you know, the, the adoption really shouldn't have gone through and, and it was, you know, not a great adoption. So we go through the process of I give her all the information and then I start to go through the AI documents. Um, I don't know if you want to fill people in now about what they need to do for the um, adoption order discharge. Um, In our next episode, we're actually going to be talking to um, Andrea Lynch, who is the forced adoption support service team leader, and she's going to be going through um, more of the technicalities of the discharge of adoption. So I guess today we'll probably stick mostly to your story and yep. um, and then we'll go through that with her in the next episode, okay. yeah. So I mean, I, one of the hardest things and the thing I didn't know how to do or what to do, uh, you know, was put together this victim statement. And mm-hmm. so my lawyer said, all right, come into the office. Um, I'm, I'm going to have one of our counsellor people there, which was incredibly useful. Um and I've never really talked about my stuff before. I've done shared with partners and close friends, but I don't wear it like a badge. It's not how I introduce myself. It's not my story. It's something that I've put to one side and gone on with the rest of my life. I've never thought of myself as a victim. So to write a victim statement was foreign to me. I'm a survivor. And so there we go. I, I go and meet with the lawyer and start the process of getting my adoption order discharge. I've got my AI documents. I've got my right to information CD with all of the paperwork and we start to build a case. And the victim impact statement was really powerful. My lawyer when I started to tell my story and what had happened and I was justifying it and the lawyer said, no, Michael, you were a kid. That shouldn't have happened. And I'd go on and tell a bit more of my story and she's go, no, Michael, no, you were a kid and this shouldn't have happened. As anyone who's gone through something like I've gone through will tell you one of the things you can do is justify it. And again, there we are. This department employee was a, a seminal person who helped me in a lot of ways and tap into some emotion. And my lawyer, putting this adoption order discharge, tapped into something else and really, I don't 
think they realized what an important moment and what important words they said when they said, no, you were a child, this shouldn't have happened to you. Um, so a lot of things were uncovered. Yeah. yeah, very important for you to hear. And it, yeah, I was, I've just been very fortunate that having the counsellor there to, to then follow up and because you're scratching a wound and yeah. it's good to help someone put antiseptic back on the wound so you don't get in mentally infected. Um, I cannot uh, praise their their setup and their way that they handled me and worked with me in a collaborative effort to achieve the outcome and the goal. It wasn't a quick process and it took some time and it took a lot of requesting information, birth certificates, death certificates and what have you. What I couldn't understand, what I still don't understand with this process is my birth parents, um, well, the one that I had, my birth mother was very supportive. My adoptive parents were both dead and I wanted to do this. Why did I need to go to court to, to have a judge make a decision about whether I could have my adoption discharged? Yeah. And because I don't know how you feel, but uh, all the way through this adoption stuff, everybody else is making decisions about your life. When, and I asked this question today, when do I get to make a choice about me? Yeah. I suppose you could say that I was making a choice to have it discharged, but ultimately someone else was going, oh, yeah, all right, we'll do it. You can, we'll, we'll discharge it. And I had to go through this painful process of dredging up all of this stuff just for them to go, oh, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll discharge it in the nicest possible way, F off, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that sense of mastery and control is so important to people who've been affected by adoption because, like you said, everyone was making all of the decisions for you. So when you're trying to take control and make some decisions or get information, any roadblocks are so aggravating. So um, aggravating is not even a big enough word for it, is it, really? It's, it's a bit disrespectful and it's yeah. a bit disconnected. The, I feel like yeah. a lot of this, a lot of the people who are making decisions about this adoption stuff, yeah, they might have been adopted or they might know someone who was adopted or they might worked in the department for years and years and years. Look, you just need a whole lot of adopted people to go, hang on. This is not right. There's another way we can do this. And yeah, it, 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 that was hard for me to get my head around. Like, why am I, I, I don't want this anymore. It's my life. Can we just cancel yeah. the adoption? Why do I have to go to court and dredge up all this information? Which makes me wonder too, Michael, um, it's sort of digressing a little bit, but what was your main motivation for wanting the discharge? What did you hope to gain from it? Uh, I wanted to be original recipe me. Mm -hmm. I wanted to hit the reset button. I, I, all of the things that happened to me can't be erased. Mm -hmm. and, and they, you know, a magical piece of paper that says, you know, my original birth certificate, I just... I, I think it was helpful for me to establish, establish more of a connection to my birth mother. Yeah. Now, if I get sick, she's, you know, or I'm in hospital, 
she's my relative. She can be part of the decision-making process. Um, it's like you can date someone, but when you're married, there's more ownership. You know? It's so interesting that you said that. Um, so for you, it really, in your head, cemented that relationship in a way that I've often said to friends, you know, they say, well, marriage is just a bit of paper. And I say, well, actually, the day I got married, everything felt different afterwards. I can't explain why. It just felt like you were a committed team in a way that you weren't before. A piece so of pa- a legal piece of paper is a legal piece of paper. And all of the checks and balances, that's what they use to make a decision. A piece of paper was the one that sealed my fate. I wanted another piece of paper that uh, that changed my my his my future. If that makes yeah. sense. Oh, I've got goosebumps. Yes, yeah, it makes perfect sense. Um, it's not yeah. ideal for everybody. Like I said, I didn't have the perfect childhood, and not that anybody really has the perfect childhood, but mm. mine was pretty horrific, and I just wanted that not be associated with that anymore i wanted to be original recipe me in the process of me leaving my adoptive home i changed my name by depol so that i could couldn't be found and so i could hit a reset button so Mm -hmm. all the way through this whole thing i've been wanting to get away change and be a, a different me um and so there was further evidence that I wanted to make a change as well, going through this process process of having my adoption order discharged. Lots of evidence to say, hey, I wanted to get away from that piece of paper yeah. that said that I was adopted by these people. Um, yeah. It was so a, how long did it take from the beginning to the end to go through this process? Like once you started, how long was it? It felt like forever, um, yeah. probably a good year and a half. Um, and yeah, it was a, it was a weird day when I went to court because I didn't, I sat with everybody else. In fact, they were, because it was a closed court and I was sitting in the the gallery. I think that's what you call it. One of the, uh, employees of the judge came and said, oh, this is a closed court. And I said, oh, it's my lawyer had to say, it's he's actually here (laughs) for a reason. So, yeah. and the department actually sent some people uh, from the adoption services uh, uh, with me as well um, to be a support, which was great. Yeah. Later, that became a little bit more odd um, when I found out some of the information going through the the court proceedings and getting obtaining more information that I had not previously been able to access. Yeah, yeah. So um, I guess that this leads to the question I was going to ask, what kind of emotional support did you have while you were working through this? Because the emotional side would be an enormous part of it. Um, really, the, the legal team and their support people like the counsellor were amazing. Um, again, this is the first time I think they had done uh, one of these. I think I was the third person in Queensland to do it. And please don't laugh when I say this, but I was one of the youngest to do it. <laughs> I say you're I say older than me. I'm, I say that now because I just turned fifty last year. Um, so yeah, 
Um, so that was amazing. And I said really early on, we have to get this right because hopefully you will use this as a roadmap for other people wanting to do this. So it, it wasn't just about me. It was about other people wanting to do this this process. Well, that's an important point too, isn't it? Because this is a new thing really that people are seeking a discharge and um, hopefully as more people do it, the process is going to get streamlined and and easier. That would be your hope that that it's going to be made easier through the process of going through these first initial ones. Yeah. I just yeah. I I just wish that they would yeah. I wish that they would make it easier for people who want to do it. You know, yeah. it, it, looking at the, the documentation that I sent you, it seemed pretty easy for someone to adopt someone back in the day. You know, a couple mm. of references and and a little bit of time in foster care with them and a couple of home visits. Oh yeah, you can have a kid. It's a year and a half of me having to do a victim statement and getting this information together. And even on the day, the judge was arming and ahhing about whether she was going to do it or not. So you're in the gallery that day. Yep. Um, can you describe to us the moment when you were granted the discharge? Who, who was there with you and, and what did that feel like? Uh, my, my partner um, was there. Uh, my birth mother was actually in the court. Uh, with my legal team, I wasn't even spoken to. I wasn't asked any questions. I wasn't part of the process. I was just a, a voyeur watching it all unfold. Um, mm. And after much umming and ahhing by the judge, who was her first day in the Supreme Court, you go to the Supreme Court to do this, and back and forth, even though there was no um, uh, objection from the state, there was a lot of arming and arming about whether it was actually going to go through um, yeah. because I'm guessing that the judge wanted to get it correct. Legally right. Yeah. yeah. Again, they're using this as still new to them as well. Um, and the language that is used to, you know, discharge it is, is a bit vague What mm -hmm. on what grounds you can do it. So I really, she, she got up and said, you know, congratulations, Mr. Costello, and used my name. And I really wasn't that emotional, if I'm honest. It just washed over me. But mm -hmm. I'll tell you the thing that did break me down and cry is when eventually, weeks later, I could rock up to birth, deaths and marriages and get a little piece of paper that was mm -hmm. my original birth certificate. The guy at birth, deaths and marriages, I was overcome with emotion when I got that little piece of paper because it was yeah. just me and the guy and I told him why I was getting it and yeah I cried like a baby when I got that and mm -hmm. that was the, the big thing for me there it was my piece of paper it was all back to the reset back to I don't know normal seems like the, the right word yeah. um yeah that was the thing that was wow and and I actually went through the process of getting my passport and my Medicare card and my bank accounts and everything changed over to original recipe me. Yeah. Well, um, I can't imagine how big of a moment that must've been. It was it's incredible. It was really, really healing. Um, there I was connected to my, my birth mother who now is my mother mm. um, legally it for her if you asked her what it meant to her it would be a different set of emotions it would be a different set of 
stuff. For me, you know, that's my emotions were released on the day I picked up the birth certificate. And yeah, I am very happy I I did it. And it's made a, it's it's the next if I'm lucky, 50 years, I'm going to be me. So you mentioned earlier that um, it was after this discharge that you met your birth father. Um, So how did that come about? I haven't met him yet, but I know who he is. So I don't know about, I'm sure quite a few of the people who are listening have gone down this road as well to try and um, reveal more about themselves. But I did the ancestry.com DNA test my whole life I had no idea what I was genetically and obviously a British um, and Irish ancestry and I have South Asian so for years my olive complexion nobody knew what I was it was all guesswork Mm -hmm. and I found out that I was South Asian I found out that I had relatives in Canada and I found out who my birth father is. He doesn't know I exist yet. It's still a process with relatives on that end to try and bring that into the fold. But I have, he um, has two sons and a daughter. So I have two half brothers and a daughter. And then I did the uh, 23andMe American ancestor uh, uh, DNA test. And I found out that I also have another half sister in Canada as well which was a surprise to her and a surprise to my new family on my father's side that wasn't the half sister that they were expecting to turn up like I said secrets and lies people secrets and lies (laughs) um so that was interesting um and so after COVID, when this when we were in a better place with COVID we've agreed that I will go to Canada and I have a cousin who is trying to um work and negotiate how we tell my 83 year old father that Mm -hmm. i exist i have no animosity to him he doesn't know i was around um and i don't expect to have a relationship with him but like a lot of us will identify i just want to sit and have a coffee and look them up and down and and find out my medical history and you know find out what we have in common and i can go if that's it that would be wonderful. If it's more, yeah. that'll be interesting too, you know. Thanks for sharing that, Michael. Um, I um, I guess I want to know too now, It's I think 2018 is when you were granted your discharge. Yep. So a few years have passed now. Did you gain what you hoped for? I gained, I got more than I was bargaining for out of this process. Some really painful things came to light um, going through the process of obtaining this adoption order discharge. One was my fluffy adoption story. My AI story is not the whole story. I've spent the time now trying to access more information about who I was adopted by and why I was adopted by. At my adoption order discharge is when I found out that I was adopted by a drug addict, a a certified drug addict um, who had been declared legally insane. Mm -hmm. And that's a big pill to swallow. Mm -hmm. What's even a bigger pill to swallow is when I went and got my adoption order 
uh, my, my AI documents, when I asked the department directly, did they know much about my birth mother? Sorry, you said birth mother earlier. You mean about your adoptive mother? Adoptive mother, sorry, yeah. Yes, yeah. And I explained about my, you know, elements about my childhood. They weren't able to tell me that they knew. And they had full knowledge of who she was and her past. And if I hadn't applied for my adoption order discharge, the department would have been quite happy for me to walk away that day thinking that she slipped through the cracks, that they didn't know. That's really painful. That's really upsetting. They knew who that was my adoptive mother and yet they still allowed the adoption to go through. And I'm not disparaging anyone who's had issues with addiction or anyone who's had issues with mental health, but her history is really intense. Her Mm. history and documentation is next level. I don't know what they were thinking giving me to her, which even further makes you think, well, why was I in foster care and why was my adoption um, uh, not allowed to go through on several occasions when they wanted to to finalise my adoption until a certain age? Because, like, the department kept saying, no, we want to see the situation. No, we want to... And I'm, that's a really hard thing for me to understand. And as I sit here today and talk to you, I still have no answers from the department about why I was put in foster care and or, and eventually adopted by this woman. And then what makes it even harder at my adoption order discharge, I found out that she had other children in foster care. And one of the conditions that my adoption went through was condition number five, I think, that, that I would be being removed from the home environment that that I was in. I would be, you know, taken and, and, and brought up in a different way other than the environment that she was currently living in in a home for, ad, you know, people, a halfway house basically is what I was adopted into for people dealing with mental health issues and drug addiction. I really don't think that was the best place for a child to be placed. Um, and that one of the conditions of my adoption to be finalised was that she was be, going to be moved out and I was going to be raised in a more normal environment. Yeah. So less a year and, you know, a couple of months after that adoption had been granted, she still had children in care. Those children were removed and she, the department said she was unfit to care for children. Yeah. But I was left there. I'm still in the process years after this adoption order was uh, discharge was granted of reaching out and going, well, someone needs to explain to me why. And that hasn't happened yet. Look, Michael, I wish you um, all the best as you look for answers for your whys. And I can certainly understand why you're still looking for them. I would be too. And um, there are many people who are considering whether or not to pursue a discharge of their adoption. And I know that your story is going to be so helpful to them as they explore the pros and cons. So thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your story. It's my pleasure. If if one person can get something out of this and, 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 you know, it helps them make a decision, either yes or no. Um, My whole thing of how about how I operate is really easy. If I can do everything I can do to make a change or get, you know, what I need to get done during the day, then I can sleep well podcast and talking to you is 
hopefully going to go a long way for other people trying to find their truth and break down some of those secrets and some of those lies that swirl in our heads from our adoption stories. Yeah. Well, look, thank you so much. And uh, we've added some relevant links to the podcast notes page of the Jigsaw Queensland website. And as we mentioned earlier in the next episode, we'll be talking to Jigsaw Queensland's forced adoption support service team leader, Andrea Lynch, some more about discharging an adoption. And uh, meanwhile, do you have a story that you'd like to share with us? If you'd like to be interviewed for the podcast, jump onto the main podcast page of the Jigsaw Queensland website and complete the prospective guest form there. And note that Adopt Perspective can be listened to by people all over the world. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Adopt Perspective podcast. If you'd like to find out more, go to the podcast page on www.jigsawqueensland.com and you'll find a wealth of information and resources on the website. If you reside in Queensland, you can reach Jigsaw Queensland's Forced Adoption Support Service on toll-free 1800 210313 or you can call Jigsaw on 07 3358 if you live in another state of Australia, you can still call the Forced Adoption Support Service number and your call will be answered by the Forced Adoption Support Service in the state that you're calling from. In every other state, Relationships Australia operates this service. A big thank you to Matt Sparrow for composing and recording our original theme music. Until next time, I'm Joe Sparrow saying farewell from Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption.